Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together, we're Pete and Gary's Military History. Podcast. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Peter Hart and I'm with that lovely thing, Gary, that lovely thing. <laughs> Gary Bain. <laughs> that lovely thing. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, what are we doing today, I Pete? thought we were going to get an outbreak of uh, army language there, Gary. <laughs> well, we nearly did. Now, today we're... we're Conducting, conducting a podcast about training, 1914-1918. This follows on from our podcast of last week, which was largely about uh, recruitment and enlisting. Yeah, it was offcuts from our soon-to-be-completed book. What's that called, Gary? Uh, 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 laugh or cry. Oh, damn, I was hoping you'd... <laughs> yeah. Well, you've changed it so many times. No, I do keep changing it, yeah. Uh, I like to it was called Up the Arras. God. <laughs> now... <laughs> Moving on. We're going to start where we left off. And the, the hundreds of thousands, thousands of volunteers and later conscripts all needed to undergo basic training to convert them from a civilian to a trained soldier. And who's got that job there? Well, the men who, and, and let's face it, this, this is a difficult task. And the men with that difficult task are their instructors. Um, often they're old dugouts, as you called them last week. Uh, and uh, they had quite a lot on their plate. So let's start where we finished off. Well, we'll use the same quote because it's Captain Randolph Chell of the 10th Essex Regiment. He's talking about his regimental sergeant major. Who's putting his point of view? God bless my soul, ejaculated. Regimental Sergeant Major Cooper, an incarnation of the standardised British version of the great god Mars, as he surveyed his flock of lambs on the parade ground behind the barracks. Don't know what the army is coming to do nowadays. Look at that lot of little adjectival sewers. How's a mortal man ever going to turn them into soldiers? And that's the problem, isn't it? That's it. Yeah, and indeed, the uh, the instructors were godlike figures. I remember my platoon sergeant and thinking, godlike, I thought. He was a Welshman. Oh, well, that's another godlike aspect. Now, we discussed this. Many of them are playing uh, the role, but the raw recruits, they don't know that, do they? How can you show us that? Give well, me an example. I'm going to give an example. This is Private Norman Clear for the Guards Training Depot Catering, and he says... We noticed that most of the barking NCOs were tall, lean men, as stiff as pokers from the waist up, bellowing as though their throats would burst. 
Baker, who's one of his instructors, was blonde with a ruddy complexion, a close-clipped moustache and an aggressive expression. First contact with him came as an electric shock. Squat! Sean! It's where! Sean! It's where! Good God! See what the Lord has sent me? What have I done to deserve this? You're a nice-looking mess of bloody wrecks, aren't you? And they expect me to make soldiers of you? Alas, my poor regiment, that it should come to this. Thank God we've got a navy. Looks as though you've all jumped over the wall from the bloody loony bin next door, and you'll all be jumping back before I've done with you. You may be God Almighty in Civvy Street, but you're fuck all here. I'll make you sweat blood. We tame lions here. Now, a lot of that, you must recognise some of those jokes. Thank God we've got a Navy. That was certainly a Second World War expression. You, do you recognise much of it? I wasn't in the Second World War, but um, I, no, I recognise that character. You know, it, um, it, it, it was designed to, to have a focal attention on the platoon sergeant or the instructor. That was the figure that you focused on you you detested him really not the officers because they're, no. they're not there really they're are not they? there really it's, it's not their job i'm not criticized of it. it's not their job is it and later on you come to 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 like respect and admire the platoon sergeants we'd have followed our platoon sergeant anywhere we wouldn't have followed the officer to the chip shop at the end of the road would he have got lost he would have got lost yeah especially if he had a map and a compass <laughs> yeah now, uh, the mornings begin with first parade, and I'm going to be Private John Staniforth of the Sixth Connaught Rangers, later commissioned into the Leinsters, wasn't it? It was. And, and, and I'm going to read this. The company sergeant major brings the squad to attention, salutes, and reports all better, all present. Squad number four fours, right turn, by the left, quick march. And away we go in a struggling mass, half asleep, very cold and hungry. And the business of another day has begun. We're led at once to a big 20-acre field and double round it for 10 minutes by the officer's watch. This sounds easy, but 10 minutes is a long time to keep it up. <laughs> Crikey. And the old fat men. Why is there a pause? No reason, Gary. No real, just pausing for effect. Uh, are hideously distressed at the end of it. On the morning after pay night, the Dublin is kept up for 20 minutes. The object of this is to sweat the drink out of the men. It is admirably calculated to serve its purpose. That still goes on now. That does, yeah. Uh, normally with vomiting. Uh, then we're given five minutes easy, and there's much gasping and blowing and spitting and wiping of red faces and so to verse blasphemy. <laughs> so to verse my arse. <laughs> you see, the idea of this first parade is not so much drill instruction as to freshen us up for the work of the day and ease the stiffness out of the muscles. Then we're formed up in fours again and marched back to our own lines, very much awake indeed. And very different from the sleepy scarecrows of an hour before. Now, the 16th Welsh, I can picture this bit next bit, and there's numerous versions of this next gag. Uh, they would parade on the beach at Colwyn Bay. And uh, you're going to be Private Victor Lansdowne, 16th Welsh Regiment. And you're going to make a, be a real beginner's mistake. What, how would you sum up that mistake? Well, it's an old adage. In the army, you don't volunteer. And you're Never, ever, ever... Ever, volunteer ever ever right so god tell us victor what happens our first parade in the morning was seven o'clock 
This was in February, going on to March. <clears throat> and instead of physical jerks, the officer said, Anybody that would like to bath instead of drill, step forward one pace. I stepped forward one pace because I thought I would avoid drill. Okay, he said, get stripped off. We said, we've got no towels and bathing equipment. Doesn't matter. What about the people living in the houses on the front? That's their funeral, he said. Get on with it. And in we had to go. And it was bitterly cold. No towel to dry ourselves. Very funny. I didn't think it was funny. I do. <laughs> Just picture all standing there. Ah, not much to look at, I would have thought, in that cold Not in weather. that cold, no. Uh, no. Drill sessions proper, they'd start after breakfast. We talked about the food in the last one, so you'll find the conditions running there. Uh, what, what's, what's the idea of drill? It hasn't changed from that day to then. What is the idea of it? It's to get you to move as a full body of men in unison. Uni, unison. Is but that all? No, it's also to get them used to obeying orders without question. So acting immediately on the instruction. And you're going to be Private Frederick Noakes, Combermere. Oops, Combermere Barracks, Windsor. Uh, Go, Gary. For the first day or two, we drilled without equipment and learned the various words of command and the elementary movements of foot drill. We marched and countermarched, wheeled, formed square and about turned, with gradually increasing efficiency. I think you'll find that squad. Not square. (laughs) I can just imagine the guards forming squad. Oh, sorry, forming squad. <laughs> yes. I like the sympathy you've paid me since my eye operation. I've always tried to be there for you, Gary. Uh, but that's that's sort of resonating as well. I remember, you know, in early days marching, you would kick the feet of the man in front. You would never be in step. You'd be hopping to try and get in a step. And all the time, the, the platoon sergeant or instructors keeping the time left right left right left right and and that does resonate with me although we formed into squares <laughs> <laughs> well you were looking backwards we was yeah uh formed squad and about turned with gradually increasing efficiency until we were streaming with sweat and weak at the knees with exhaustion our instructor was unsparing and not to be satisfied Time after time, we would perform the same evolution with what to us seemed to be perfect precision and spartness, only to be told in lurid language that we were a lousy lot of bastards and the worst bloody crew of not need imbeciles he'd ever set his eyes on. It was not sufficient merely to perform a movement correctly and in unison. Every order must be carried out with the exaggerated energy and abrupt jerks of automatons. When we marched or turned about, formed fours or halted, we must stamp the ground. Come along, you won't crack the asphalt. When sloping arms or presenting, we must hit the rifle until our hands were covered with bruises and blisters. And between movements, we must remain perfectly immobile without moving an eyelash. Now, you've got lovely eyelashes. You've often commented on your eyelashes. I have got lovely eyelashes. Did you have to keep your eyelashes still when you were doing drill? Yeah, and and again, you know, early 80s, we were told to drive your foot into the ground. When you presented arms, you would slam, and they would make a point of saying, hit it harder. That's fine, unless it's an icy cold day. Then it hurts like hell. It really does. And, you know, they're they're driving that into you all the time. Now, you're going to continue as Private Frederick Noakes. What else does he say? This is, the sergeants, they can spot people, can't they, who are not doing it right. The full flood of his invective fell upon them. I can work fucking miracles, I can, he would cry. 
I can make even a lousy, horrible crew of fucking fuckers like you into soldiers. And I will too, by fuck. If our marching was not to his liking, he would often quicken the pace to almost impossible speeds. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. About turn, as you were. Until we were pounding along with hammering hearts and bursting lungs, convinced that we must soon crack under the strain. Now they did, again, they would do that. They would do it at light infantry pace. Uh, and, and you would get into a real muddle, you know, let's turn right turn, and you'd be spinning like round and round and round. And, and it, was, it was humorous, but at the same time, it's designed to get you working together. Now, the, the, all this is to the background of t- the sort of time-honoured abuse that we've talked about. And, and uh, you've got a brilliant example, again from Private Frederick Noakes, of, 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 of how they eventually sort of drive you to, into just a frenzy of confusion and stupidity. Which with you would uh, be take ages. It would take well. It may never have even have happened. Lion tamers got nothing on me. You may break your mother's heart, but you won't break mine. Squad, Chan. One of his favourite devices for waking us up was to give an order, countermand it, and give it again a score of times with light and rapidity. Form fours as you were. Form fours as you were until we were dizzy with dashing to and fro, breathless and thoroughly tangled up, whereupon he would hurl imprecations upon our heads and slanders on our ancestry, which, taken at their face value, were a blasphemy, insulting as they were indecent. Now, you've got the dugout officers, you've got the old grizzled NCOs, but you've also got a lot of people, NCOs, and and in particular officers, who are just a couple of pages in the drill manual ahead. And... uh, and uh, who am I going to be? You're going to be Lance Corporal Jack Dorgan. Now, he's he's watching one of these uh, hapless young gentlemen try, with a conspicuous absence of success, to man- master the precepts of uh, simple foot drill. And Lance Corporal Jack Dorgan of the 1st, 7th Northumberland Fusiliers says this. Jack Dorgan was a great, great character. I remember interviewing him and he said this. Our officer was the Honourable Watson Armstrong, generally... In the Territorial Army, right throughout North Northumberland, the officers came from the landed gentry. Now, we knew someone from the landed gentry, not an aristocrat. No, he was most definitely not aristocratic. He was landed gentry. What was his name? I've just forgotten it for a moment. David something. Yes. Um, Anyway, Lord Armstrong... Armstrong. Did he he form form a square? (laughs) Yes, he did. Lord Armstrong was the owner... Of a tremendous block of land up in the Cheviots. Cheviots? Cheviots. I'm going for. And the Honourable Watson Armstrong was his son. We called him Watty Armstrong. Oh, soldier's nickname. So imaginative. There. He wasn't of the brightest, was Watty. By nature, he was a kindly man. He was very well liked indeed. When we were being drilled and he had to pass on the order, he was always late in thinking it out. I used to stand behind him as Lance Corporal and whisper in a loud whisper, left wheel. Then he would say, left wheel. One day, when Captain Milburn was drilling the company and Watson Armstrong was slow in passing on the order, Milburn must have overheard me whispering and he says, in a very loud voice, he says, Mr Armstrong, you're a bloody fool. The whole company held their breath and then the Honourable Watson Armstrong stood up saluted and said, yes, sir. 
That broke the ice. <laughs> Everybody burst out laughing. Even Captain Milburn had a smile. I like that sort. And we these people you can read about them they're in the their histories. I think Watson Armstrong wrote a a, a, a book. Uh, Dorgan's tapes are on the war museum. It's strange how close you can get to a group of people uh, that were basically 100 years ago. Right, what's next then? Well, another feature of basic training then and when I was in was uh, was the route march and in in those days the army marched almost everywhere. Well, unless they're on the railway. Yeah, unless right, they're yeah. on the railway. They they had to build up their endurance and uh, basic levels of fitness and once they'd got used to it, they they uh, you know, these were often enjoyed by the men. Would they complain at first? No one ever complains, but um, some, yes. <laughs> yes. Now, now, you're going to be Lieutenant Eric Walton. And and this is, I love that. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy hearing these people again. Because, of course, I remember interviewing him. Fantastic veteran. And he wrote the history of the first fifth Suffolks. And that's who he was with. And uh, they were from Laverham, I think it was. And... Um, and you're going to be him. Uh, now, this is a Suffolk accent you're doing. And I believe you've just recently bought the history of the Suffolk Regiment, the, the regimental history. Yeah, it's not an audio book. Oh. Does that mean you've not got the accent wrong? <laughs> <laughs> now, he's talking about, again, something that we did in the 80s, uh, which was, as you, as you march, you would sing. And Lieutenant Eric Walton says this. We used to sing, marching along, the whole column singing songs. All the windows opened wide and the band and everything. I don't know who started it, but the fifth Suffolk, Suffolks used to sing, We are the Suffolk boys. boys! Boys! We are the Suffolk boys. Boys! We know our manners. We spend our tenors. We are respected wherever we go. When we're walking up the tramway lines, doors and windows open wide. Wide! <laughs> we can drink beer or ale out of bucket or a pail. We are the Suffolk boys. Boys! Uh, Tipperary, of course, and uh, we shall have a pint, we shall have a pint, we shall have a pint, Mr. Mr. Walton's going to pay. (laughs) (laughs) When I annoyed them by telling them to buck up and be smart, they used to sing, and a little child shall lead them, lead them gently on their way. Of course, it was ridiculous, a boy of 18 or something commanding men double his age. We were very friendly. We're all local Lebanon people. They knew me and I knew them. Fantastic. A lovely quote. You can listen to him on the War Museum's website. If you just type in Eric Walton and IWM, you'll get to it. Now, uh, who choose the songs? Would it be the officers? No, the songs are chosen by the men. It's not It's not chosen by the NCOs or the officers. And uh, you're going to give you an example. This is Second Lieutenant to C.H. Potter of the 2nd, 6th Lancashire Fusiliers. When marching along the foreshore, singing an excellent thing, well, it was encouraged. The CO's favourite refrains were Land of hope and glory and soldiers of the king. But his taste was not shared by the men. <laughs> and it was tacitly agreed that the volume of sound should be reserved for such favourites as When the beer is on the table, I'll be there. I'll, I'll be, be there. there. When the beer is on the table, I'll be there. I'll be there. 
That's wonderful, isn't it? Oh, a parody of another Salvation Army hymn. Now, I've no idea this is, this is, I've no idea of the tunes. I'll just make one up. Wash me in the water where you washed your dirty daughter and I shall be whiter than the whitewash on the wall. I'd have gone with wash me in the water where you washed your dirty daughter and I shall be whiter than the whitewash on the wall. Well, that's obviously better. Yeah. Or better or different? Better. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, so what, that's bit of fitness we've done. Uh, weapons training. Uh, where would they start with weapons training, Gary? Well, it's obviously crucial, and they normally start with rifle training. So this would normally be the Lee Enfield, but early in the war, it could often be the Ross rifle or the the earlier Lee Enfield marks, the Mark One, and things like that. But who are you going to be? Who? I'm going to be Second Lieutenant Harold Mellish of the Third East Lancashire Regiment, who in the last podcast had a very pronounced Lancashire accent, but he's been to the officer uh, vocal training course now, Pete. Oh, so now he's so not the brigadiers training. Not the course. brigadiers, no. The sergeant instructor is a type of his own. Our particular instruction patter started this morning. I'm going to show you the Mark III Lee Enfield rifle. We learnt it all by heart. We could hardly do anything else. Our sergeant, however, had his method of keeping us on our toes. Later in the day, an innocent victim would be called out to give a demonstration. This morning, I'm going to show you, he would begin. Not this morning, sir, corrected the sergeant. This afternoon. <laughs> Again, that's just such a fantastic illustration of the humour of these fantastic instructors. Yeah, the pattern's standard. It's pretty standard. The, the learning parts of the rifle, demonstration of the methods of aiming, firing on the uh, two-two range, and then the real thing on the ranges. And you're going to be Second Lieutenant Julian Tyndale Bisco of the Royal Horse Artillery. About ten days ago, we had a most exciting time at the rifle range. Most of the men had never seen a rifle. Remember, these are artillery, of course. Uh, when we got to the ranges, it was quite chaotic. <laughs> no one seemed to know what to do. Men started to fire before orders were given. <laughs> and were not particular as to what they fired at. <laughs> Some bullets hit the ground a yard or two off and whizzed off with a whine. Many more cleared the butts. That's the uh, bit of the targets they're aiming at. Completely. Different people were shouting different orders and then some soldiers from another division started walking along the butts in front of the targets. Would that be dangerous, do you think, Gary? Quite dangerous. This resulted in yells of, Cease fire! from behind us, which seemed to have little effect. <laughs> I do not think many knew what the sights of their rifles were for. <laughs> anyway, from a safety point of view, it did not appear to matter much where one, where, where, where one happened to be in this fireworks display. I did not hear of any casualties and the brigade marched back in great good humour. Oh, isn't that lovely? It is. Now, uh, one soldier immortalised it, as soldiers seemed to do uh, very early in the war. They wrote these appalling bloody poems. They're just awful. They're indescribably bad. And originally we were going to put some of these in the book and then taste came to our rescue. Sadly, in a podcast, we have no taste whatsoever. So you're going to be T. Roxburgh, I think it's Tom, but I'm not sure. Tom Roxburgh, Private Tom of the 17th Highland Light Infantry. Bit of a Scottish accent I'm looking for here, Gary. He was from Edinburgh, Pete. Oh, well, so English. English, yeah. Now, this is, this is entitled At the Range. A white mist drifts across the butts, the grass is white with morning frost. 
I think of all the sleep I've lost, and know I cannot shoot for nuts. The blood-red flag is lowered now, the blinking bullseyes in a row. Benignly watch my trigger go, they know they're safe enough I trow. The five rounds spent, I linger still, with hope and fear in bitter strife. Yet all the while you bet your life, I know my shots are in the hill. Dear Bosch, if from the parapet you see my rifle aimed at you, do not, I beg, retire from view. I'll only use the bayonet. Were you a good shot? Uh, I wasn't bad, actually. With the SMG, I was pretty good. I wasn't that great with a pistol. I couldn't hit a, 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 a barn door with a banjo. I'd clean that up, actually, as I was thinking of it. But we used to fire... Uh, oh, now it's the hesitation. We used to fire at what's called the figure 11 target, not bullseye. So it was in the shape of a man. Um, uh, presumably to get used to firing a, a, a sort of silhouette of a man's shape. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the bats were still there. You would you would do time in the bats. is the, the hill behind the it's target. It's the hill behind the target, and, and they would there's, be on a, a there's contraction. There's a hole, isn't it? The target would be on a contraction. You would raise the target. They would fire. You would lower the target. Um, sorry, having indicated where they'd hit on the target, you would lower the target. And in those days, you'd stick a bit of paper over the hole that was made. Now, what about, uh, you mentioned in that last poem, lovely bayonet training. Now, that, that in the first world, uh, even today, can be a gut-churning business uh, for the more sensitive of recruits. So you're going to be Private Frederick Noakes of the Combermere Barracks, Windsor. He's, he's not, doesn't seem that sensitive. Instruction in the gentle art bayonet fighting was given in a field near the barracks on several occasions. It was strenuous and interesting, if one could forget what the straw-stuffed dummies we attacked were supposed to represent, though the sergeant's blood-curdling directions to twist the bayonet in his guts and jump on his face left little to the imagination. Use every dirty trick you know, he would say. Kick him in the privates, bash him with the butt. It's him or you. Now, this hasn't changed a lot, has it? Uh, it, it really hasn't. And uh, you're now going to be uh, another guard. Well, we've got a lot of guards in these. But Private uh, Norman Cliff of the Guards Training Depot at Caterham, well, what does he say? The most revolting exercise was bayonet practice. Faced with suspended sacks with the vital parts of the body labelled, we were ordered to howl blood-curdling cries as we rushed forward with bayonets fixed, then shove the bayonet straight in his stomach and pull it out at the same angle, or it will get entangled in all sorts of guts and snot and gristle. Then jab it in his throat, kick him in, his, in the balls and bash his brain out with a butt. Your job is not to tickle the hunt, you have to kill him. The whole idea is to make new faces in hell and more widows in Germany. The only good Germans are dead uns. It was a disgusting, sickening demonstration of the bestial reality for which we were being prepared. Oh, well, it's true. And bayonet training, I mean, I've interviewed people who said they used to have to go, uh, even recently, have to run through things where they got meat, uh, meat from the butchers, hanging up and, and blood and guts would come out of whatever you bayoneted just to try and get used to it. Now, uh, basic tra- this is what we, this is not advanced training. We're talking about basic training, aren't we here? We are. Uh, and I'm going to be, uh, I think it's Private Jay Crocker of the 17th Highland Island. Yeah, and this is once more, uh, demonstrates our taste for appalling poetry. Lo- this poetry is beyond belief, uh, as far as I'm concerned. But it's quite good fun, and it's called... The song of strenuous days. 
I'm going to abandon that because that's definitely <laughs> Welsh. <laughs> with muscles distorted and drawn, with bodies oppressed with pain, we're seeking to learn the soldier's art in frost and sleet and rain. Drill, 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 from sunset till do- till close of day, with never a break in the cheerless task, and oh, what, what a paltry pay. Work, 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 with rifle or pick or spade, and work, 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 till daylight begins to fade. March, 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 our hills are along and steep, and march, 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 on the sands by the rolling deep. Manoeuvre, entrench, advance, take cover, detour, retire, with non-coms grousing when we are remiss and officers spitting forth fire. Oh, the path to stripes is a narrow lane, which you've passed a few times, <laughs> and passes too few given. Why did I do that? <laughs> the private's course lies the way of the guards and sergeants the route to heaven. Well, bogged it up a bit at the end. But. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, I often say that I made sergeant because I had three strikes, just stripes, just not necessarily at the same time. <laughs> now, especially uh, strain, we're not really doing this, but uh, th- this is just a thing that occurred to us was quite funny. Uh, this is uh, the uh, Vickers machine gun training. And I'm going to be second lieutenant Eric Bird of the machine gun corps. And I'm going to read a little quote from him. Uh Uh, And he says this, the year was 1915 and the place, the machine gun school of Southern Command at Hailing Island. The commandant was lecturing on machine gun tactics. He began, my text is taken from the first book of Samuel, the 17th chapter and the 49th verse. And David put his hand into his bag and took hence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine and the forehead and the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon the face of the earth. That, gentlemen, is the first recorded instance of superior firepower. And he, he, he means a machine gun is, is a better firepower than a rifle. And he is right. Yeah, and as the war goes on, gas becomes increasingly used and gas precautions, therefore, uh, you need to be trained for. So they begin to take on a greater importance. And this, we're only doing one because each gas mask, as it comes out, they have a separate training for. But you're, you're looking at the one, the, the PH helmet, I think. Uh, you perhaps tell me what that is. Anyway, uh, you're going to be Private Frederick Noakes, our old favourite back at Combermere Barracks in Windsor. Yeah, the the uh, the old PH helmet is the, is the first ones, the ones where you see, you know, like with little rubber and they blew raspberry through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and PH stands for the uh, the Peter Hart type. <laughs> what? <laughs> Our helmets were of the old PH type, a grey flannel bag covering the head and neck completely, coming to a point on top. Breathing was through a rubber valve mouthpiece and there were round Mika goggles and the fabric was impregnated with some chemical which gave it a soapy feel. When we were all dressed up, we looked like a cross between the Ku Klux Klan and the missing link. Now, uh, with cavalry, we're not really covering with cavalry much, uh, but... Uh 
uh, they don't recruit anything like the number of men, do they? That the infantry are recruiting. They've got cavalry, they've no, got the yeomanry, but they're still recruiting. There's a from... lot of them still, and they've still got to learn to ride in the uh, Rough Rider training schools. And you're going to. Rough Rider? Doesn't rough that... Rider. Now, what... Where have I heard that before? Oh, yeah, yeah. That explains why you're wearing them chaps again. No, it explains the picture on our cover. <laughs> now, you're going to be Trooper Fred Dixon, the Surrey Yeomanry, and he, he's, he's explaining some of this training. There is a lane of jumps intended for horse and rider, going over with the rider's arms folded. No stirrups! It was a lane. The horse couldn't jump out on either side. In all, there were six or seven jumps. On one occasion, the horse and the rider in front of me stumbled. The chap who was riding it couldn't pull him up because he, he hadn't the reins. He fell and hit his head on a tree trunk at the base of the jump, knocked him unconscious. Major Lloyd cantered up alongside the jump and he said, If that man's dead, take him outside. We don't want dead men in here. If he's alive, put him on his horse again. <laughs> and there, But funnily enough, that's, that, that's a truism. One of the great things in learning to ride is if you fall off, they put you straight back on the horse. Stra- not if you're dead. No, that would be a bit But the famous. idea is, and if you fall off a bike, remember when you were a kid, if you fell off your bike, you were all your parents would say, get back on that one, well, not yours, your mum had long since left by then. But get back on that bike, uh, because otherwise you'll lose your nerve. I found that quite interesting. Now, what's next? Well, oh, we, Gunners, Gunners. Yeah, now, at the same time, this is all going, Gunners, they've, they've, not, they've got to master not only the 13-pounders, they've got to get 18-pounders or four-and-a-half-inch howitzers. But... They, too, usually had to learn to ride, Pete. And I'm going to be Gunner Lambert of A Battery, 150th Brigade Royal Field Artillery. Ooh. The order was given, prepare to mount. And you put your left foot up, twisted the stirrup into such a position that the straps were in the correct positions. On the command, mount, you were supposed to jump up and throw your right leg over the saddle and find the stirrup on the other side without looking down. For some reason, that was an important part. The next order was usually walk, followed by trot and canter. This particular mare, she would stand very quietly all the time she was being groomed. But when the word mount was given, she folded up like a bucking bronco. And you picked yourself up on the other side, with the mare still stood there. After this had happened about three times, by this time the regimental sergeant major was getting very red-faced and angry, and so was I at being thrown and bawled at. He sent the rough rider, who had been an ex-Indian Army cavalry corporal, to show me how to do it. Well, after he'd been thrown off three times, they decided that the horse was no good and it was sent back as a reject. (laughs) Oh, the, the army. Uh, artillery officers, they'd have a lot to learn, wouldn't they? All the, all the technicalities of gunnery and everything. And, and uh, I'm going to be Second Lieutenant Julian Tyndale Bisco, Royal Horse Artillery again. Um, I think he, he wrote quite a good book. I think we got most of this out of. And he said this. The only time for mugging up our manuals and books and artillery and horsemanship had been after dinner at night. Some of them tended to send one to sleep. Oh, God. One of them contained pages and pages of definitions with long lists of questions and answers at the end on which we were examined from time to time. The questions must be answered as per handbook. One of the questions, John, one of the questions was, why has a gun got wheels? Now, anyone who had not studied his handbook would probably answer, to make it easier to pull, sir, or to make it more mobile. <laughs> 
and thus show his gross ignorance. The correct and only answer is to overcome friction. One of the sergeant instructors caught us all out when he picked up a large spanner saying, This, this is a McMahon spanner. Why is it called the McMahon spanner? This was not in the handbook. Oh, God. Before we could think of an answer, he said with a smug look on his face, Because it was invented by Mr McMahon. <laughs> Which is not funny at all, but it just makes me laugh. Now, field training and tactical exercises, they're designed to check and refine the training. Mm. Now, How realistic? Well, ah. they're, yeah, they are often hands on by total lack of realism. And I'm going to be Lieutenant Jay Goss of the 8th King's Own Scottish Borderers, who happens to be from Edinburgh. A signaller was violently waving a flag during an operation supposed to be a, a night attack, though carried out in daylight. An irate staff officer riding up to him asked what he meant by waving that flag. Did he not know this was supposed to be a night attack? Yes, sir, replied the signaller. But this is supposed to be a lamp. <laughs> <laughs> oh. and, and, and listeners, these are the quotes that were cut out of the book. Maybe they are, yeah. Well, the book's about the Western Front. This is training, that's why. Now, occasionally, inspecting officers, they uh, they betray their own ignorance of, of details. And you're going to read from the uh, history of the 17th Highland Light Infantry, which would be in Scottish accent. They write in Scottish accents, even if they're from Edinburgh. I, uh, I have it on my knee now. I... Towards the close of one of the periodical manoeuvres carried out by the 17th, under the critical eye of an inspecting general, a bugle had sounded and the manoeuvres ceased. Officers grouped together and the men lay on their backs and talked. The general turned to one of the battalion officers, who were now beginning to assemble round him, and said, ah, What was that call? He, he often did such things as this to test knowledge of detail. They stand fast, said the officer to whom the question was addressed. Ah, come, 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 said the general. Now what was it? He further questioned the company commander. No reply came. Then he turned to the second in command. Ah, Major, what was it? Tell him. Tell him. They stand fast, sir, said the Major. Really? said the general. Oh, gentlemen, must learn the elementary things in soldiery. Bugler, t tell these gentlemen what that call was. They stand fast, replied the bugler. The general hurried on with the conference. Oh, no, they stand fast, sir. Ah. Now, the battalions, they're, they're, they're often inspected by the local brigade and divisional commanders. Now, they could be tense and fraught affairs, as uh, the history of the 15th Highland Light Inventory by Tom Chandler's proudly recalls when they were inspected by a Brigadier General F. Hackett Thompson, who was commanding their brigade. And you, once more, Pete, are going to read from a history, this time of the 15th Highland Is Light Is he Infantry. from Edinburgh? No. He, he's from Dundee. Aye. <laughs> This new army brigade didn't know the regular army tradition and were astounded by the general's first inspection. The tradition is succinctly expounded. Fairness, 
fierceness on parade was the order of the day, and ferocity increased with your rank. Captains shouted a good deal and permitted themselves an oath or two. Majors mounted, swore a good deal. The colonel was generally angry with everybody and let them know it, but the annual general inspection reduced them all to comparative silence. The intensity of the general's ferocity putting all minor efforts into the shade. Mm. Now, apparently, Hackett Thompson had a, a, a great reputation as a fire eater of the First Order. And uh, the history goes on to say... Oh, bloody Scottish The General's abhorrence of, of long hair, although his own locks sprouted luxuriously. <laughs> the nape of his neck was made instantly evident as he stepped along the fateful tour of the ranks. Ah, what's wrong with that man? He demanded of a trembling subaltern who was struck dumb. He himself advanced on the offending private and knocked his hat off. Say that, he said fiercely to the subaltern. Say that, look at his hair, man. And to the startled man standing now hatless. If you were on active service, you would be shot. As happens, sooner or later, however, to all martinets, he was taken aback back when a hard-bitten private of the line who had a fair growth of hair on a very blotched face was tackled. What's the matter with your face, man? When the naive... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Came the sharp and inevitable question. It's the booze can win Utsa! When the naive confession was interpreted to the brigadier, the ice melted. He beamed and said, in almost benevolent tones to the man, That's the frankest answer I've had in my career. Thank God there's no more Scottish accent. As the time neared when they were getting ready to be sent to the front, they'd often be inspected by the the real great in the group. So not a brigadier or a division. Not a brigadier. So what are we talking? Well, we're talking... King, Kitchener. Top, top, top brass now you're going to be private tom haddock and i insist on a manchester accent after the purgatory you put me through there uh the 23rd manchester regiment and i ought to point out they're bantams yes what are bantams Bantams are short people (laughs) sorry i shouldn't laugh at my own comment they're very small men very small named after the the bantam cock i believe so feisty but small yeah so, what's Tom Haddock got to say? Lord Kitchener was inspecting the Manchester City Pals in Albert Square just before they went to France. We marched from Heaton Park to Albert Square to meet Lord Kitchener. He was stood on the steps of the town hall and we marched past him. I'm carrying a signal flag and I'm in the front of the company. As we got the word, I left! I looked him full in the face. He was like his picture, a big moustache, and he started laughing. I thought, well, is he laughing at me? Actually, he was laughing because we were all small men, none of us over five foot three. After that parade was over, 
it was said the generals came and spoke to us. They said that that was the first time they'd ever seen Lord Kitchener laugh when he saw us. I love the idea of Kitchener helpless with laughter at the sight of all these tiny traps. Uh, now, uh, after the parade, the, the men of the battalion, uh, 30, uh, 23rd Bantams, were allowed to uh, Manchester Regiment. They were allowed to go home, weren't they? Visit their, you know, because the, this is, the, the reason they've been inspected now is they're about to be sent to the front fairly short order, you know. And uh, Tom Haddock goes home. Uh, now, he'd enlisted as 19. He'd used his brother, William's name. So he's enlisted as William Haddock uh, and 19. Now, who was worried? Who was proud but worried? Well, Private Tom Haddock of the 23rd Bantams says, I went home and my mother said, I watched you marching this morning. You were about the best. You were the only one in step. You look blooming smart. The only one in I was quite proud of you. But you're not going to France. I said I am. I went back to camp and the following morning they sent us home on four days leave. Embarkation leave. After that was over, we were going to France. I was 16 years and five months of age. I said to my mother, I've come home on four days leave. We're going to France. She said, you're, a, you're as hell as like. I says, you can't stop me. She said, I'll stop you all right. Well, we went to Salisbury Plain. The following morning, we were on a medical board. I went on it and there was a brigadier, a colonel, a captain, a lieutenant, all sat down at the table and me in front of them. What the hell's this? They said to me, your name William Henry Haddock? I said, yes, sir. Are you 19? I said, yes, sir. They said, read that. And he gave me a piece of paper. It was a letter my mother had written to them. Read it out loud. I read it out. He said, you realise you joined the army. Sorry. You realise you joined the army under false pretenses. You're liable to be charged with that. But I don't think we will do that. We've decided to discharge you from the army. Two military policemen came up. One at either side. Come on took me to the quartermaster stores, took all my uniform, left my underclothes on, put my civvy suit on, what they gave prisoners when they come out of jail. I got home and my mother started laughing. She said, I told you you weren't going to France, didn't I? I played holy smoke with her. <laughs> now, now that's... I think that's a wonderful quote all round. And he does get to France eventually, uh, you know, when he's older. Um, now, uh, so where are we now? Um, well, our favourite summation of the state of newly trained unit ready to the front was summed up once more in one of the histories of the uh, 16th Highland Light Infantry. And once more, you, Pete, are going to read from it. Now, the, 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 what I like about this is uh, because people think they're fully trained, don't they? But they're not. They've got continuation training in France to do. They've got to be assigned to the line. They've got a lot more to learn. But at the time, they're all proud. They think they've done the training. And this quote rather explodes this. Uh, as you said, history of the 16th Light Infantry. I uh, mention of Wensleydale will always refresh the vision of the station master, a worthy of official who coined a classic example of pathos. Before the entrainment of the division, the battalion adjutant observed to him, You'll never have seen anything like this before. <laughs> to which surveying solemnly the encampments on the heights, the station master replied, <laughs> 
No, <laughs> not since the Black Dyke Mills Band visited here. <laughs> in other words, they looked like a brass band <laughs> and were just as competent. Um, but apparently they're meant to be ready for war, Pete. Oh, dear. Now, many of them, they just didn't know whether to laugh or cry. <gasps> I saw what you did there. See what I did there? That was subliminal. That was subliminal. That was subliminal advertising. Oh, Matt will be pleased with you. He'll say that, Gary, he's got what it takes. Just like the army said to you at the end of your career. What did the army say to you at the end of your career? Go and never darken our doorstep. Something uh, like that. Something like that. Cheers, Gary. Hang on, Pete, before you go. Oh, oh, yes. Because I, I, I get sad when you go. I just thought, because it's a lovely summer's day, although you've got the curtains drawn. If you go away on this summer's day, then you might as well take the sun away. All the birds that flew in a summer sky when our love was new and our hearts were high when the day was young and the night was long and the moon stood still for the night bird's song if you go away if you go away bugger all that i'm off bye bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash pgmh or consider subscribing to the podcast for only two pounds per month and get ad free listening and bonus content you can find links for both on our facebook and twitter accounts sounds great doesn't it